Attention, Skyway passengers. Please remain seated and keep your hands and arms inside the Skyway cabin. The future has arrived. The future has arrived today. Your attention, please. The Walt Disney World Railroad. Now boarding for a scenic trip around WDW Radio, your information station. Hello everybody and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 355 for the week of March 23rd, 2014. I'm here to help you have the best possible Disney vacation experience and bring you a little bit of Disney magic wherever you are with this podcast, videos, blog, live broadcasts, audio tours, and much more. You can find it all over at WDWRadio.com. Also, be sure to visit Disney102.com where you can get a copy of my new book, 102 Ways to Save Money for and at Walt Disney World. It's now available as a downloadable PDF to read on your computer or any mobile device as well as in print and on Kindle from Amazon.com and now also from the Nook store as well. I know you're going to enjoy it and save money whether you're going for your first time or your 100th. In fact, I guarantee it. If you don't save money using the book, I will gladly refund your purchase price. And if you do like the book, please leave a review over on Amazon.com and tell your friends. For more information, sample pages, and links to where you can get it, visit Disney102.com. So this week, I invite you to journey with me aboard my Walt Disney World Wayback Machine as we turn back the clock 15 years and visit the resort in 2001. We'll explore what was new and changed, what was lost, how things were different, what was being celebrated, and share stories of our own experiences during that time. I'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week and pose a new chance for your chance to win a Disney prize package, including my brand new book. Then stay tuned for some updates and announcements, including updated event information and much more. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. While I very much subscribe to Walt Disney's tenet of keep moving forward, I also like to look back sometimes to not only see where we've been, but maybe even get a glimpse as to what the future holds. So I invite you to please journey with me this week aboard my Walt Disney World Wayback Machine as I set the dial to the year 2001, not the Space Odyssey, but 15 years ago in the vacation kingdom of the world. And accompanying me once again is the Watson to my Sherlock, the Sherman to my Peabody, the Incrediboy to my... Wait. Anyway, he is Ryan P. Wilson, also known as Warden Ryan P. Wilson Matua, editor-in-chief of the Main Street Gazette. Welcome back, buddy. Jumbo. <laughs> Are you ready for 2001 A Disney Odyssey? I, I am. And, you know, this is cool because 
uh, oftentimes when we're doing the way back, we do specific attractions or shows or sort of group things together with a theme. But every now and then we've taken an entire year. I think we've done like one in the 70s and, and maybe one in the 80s. And I think this time we, we chose a time that's not really just a, a rounded number, sort of 15 years in the ba- in you know behind from where we are now. But I think it, it's an important year in terms of not just growth of the parks, but I think as we start to talk about what the, the sort of the theme of the celebration was, um, why the year was relatively significant. You have that year of a milestone um, that that not a lot of people really recognize or remember, um, and you, there wasn't a ton of you know change going on across the park. You're right, but for where the where the company was, for where Walt Disney World is, it is almost one of those turning points in in the history of Walt Disney World. And it's funny because as I was going back and starting to think about and list uh, some of the things that had changed or expanded or opened that year, when I get to one of the things that we talk about, there was one thing that I keep remembering as this is the change that I remember of 2001 because it represented an expansion and it also a bit of a loss and it changed the dynamic of one of my favorite places in Walt Disney World and I will just tease you with that because before I think we stepped foot into that specific moment in time in 2001 uh, let's sort of take a look at what happened leading up to it right because three years earlier Walt Disney World's fourth theme park Disney's Animal Kingdom opens on Earth Day it is very much a radical departure to say the least from that quote-unquote traditional concept of what a again air quotes magic kingdom was right it really embraced this idea of edutainment on an entirely new level. Absolutely. And it was, you know, it was made to look lived in. It was made to look like the real world. It wasn't, you know, the ideal of a Main Street at the turn of the century. It wasn't potentially what tomorrow was or what a backlot looked like. It was a lived in world and it was explore every corner. And like you said, it was just three years prior to this. And then even then it wasn't completed because in 1999, you have the whole land of Asia that would open up. Right. So, and right, 1999, well, let's quickly step back. Also in uh, 1998, there's additional expansion that I think not just happens in Walt Disney World, but but sort of tacks onto Walt Disney World, right? Feature animation comes to Disney MGM Studios. All of a sudden now, these studios seem to be going down a long-term path of going to be a real working, you know, long-term studio there. The Disney Cruise Line launches its first ship to Disney Magic, which to me has always been an extension of the Walt Disney World experience. It it often takes place as a separate experience, but I think for a lot of people, Ryan, it's one that they tack on. The following year, you're right, we get additional expansion. We get all-star movies. We get Lanuba. Test Track finally opens after how many years (laughs) of of saying that it's going to open? You know, Two years ago, 1997, they promised it was going to be coming later that year. Uh, The Wonder Sets sale. The 15-month-long, and I know you agree with me, one of my favorite celebrations of all, the Millennium Celebration, expands Mm -hmm. into 2000 with new parades and special events and nighttime spectacles really centered around a park that I know that we both love, which is Epcot. Absolutely, and it was you could see them building the stage, and you know they are they're launching the cruise ships, and you're absolutely right. People, you know, do they tie that on the beginning or end of a trip because that you know to tie into that whole you know we want to go adventuring, but at the same time we want to know what we're what. You know, work with something that we're close to and we know. Uh, you have all these. This it's just a massive period of expansion in that that latter part of uh, you know nineteen nineties and early two thousand. And it was almost like you get to the end of the millennium celebration. It's like, where do we go next? 
Well, you know, at this point, everybody's going, Michael Eisner's a genius. Where this guy's going to be with the company forever. Nobody's ever going to get rid of him. So. Surely he's not going to make a misstep somewhere. No, not at all. The man clearly has, you know, focus and vision and, you know, nothing is possibly going to go horribly awry just a couple of years later. But <laughs> let, let's sort of get into 2001 and we're going to sort of jump all over the board here Um and maybe we'll sort of talk about boards and games. We'll sort of start there. Because there was a lot of new introductions. And in April, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Play It came to the Disney MGM Studios. And this was really a big deal because, you know, for the first time, we've got, well, not really the first time, but in terms of the, the, the scope and just how closely the show and the set really resemble this very high-tech experience of the Regis Philbin-hosted TV show, you know, this gives guests a chance to get into that hot seat that, you know, most people won't get a chance to do. And obviously the show was, you know, ridiculously popular at the time. You're able to play for points, not dollars, but you could really win some cool prizes, right? Stuff that was exclusive to that attraction, whether it was hats and pins and jackets, to a Disney Cruise Line vacation. Yeah, and, it, it, you know, you're right. It, it piggybacked off of the huge success of, a, of finally a primetime game show. And they had seen stuff like that before in, at the studios. And, you know, it, we're even looking back at far, far enough that it was still Disney MGM Studios at that point. Um, but you had, you know, they'd seen Hollywood Squares there before, other things. But this was the first time that the guests actually got to, like you said, sit in that hot seat, be part of that game, and come away, you know, if, if you were, you know, had enough knowledge, with something really cool. Yeah, and it really gave you the sense that you had that same sort of intensity and excitement and nerves as if you were taping the real show. And, and look, you talk about an attraction in terms of re-rideability or revisitability. Mm -hmm. I mean, how many times would you go sometimes to see that show in a single day because you weren't just watching? It was really sort of the beginning of that interactive, non-passive type of experience and you, I mean, you were playing for like real stuff. You know, you were playing for for not just a chance to get out in front of everybody and be shown up on the screen, but to actually have a chance to win, you know, real prizes. Yeah, and I think all, you know part of that is that music. You know, that intense music that that show that you know Who Wants to Be a Millionaire had that that you just got your blood going when you got out there. But how many of you and I talked about you know experiences like you know Sid Kahenga's, um, you know trivia. That people come back time and time and again just to get that the trivia right. This amplified that to you know exponentially. Yeah, and you weren't obviously just playing against yourself. You were playing against the however mm -hmm. many hundreds of people that were in there too. And I hate to admit, Ryan P. Wilson, I came close once at the the very last one, but as time ran out, I, I came close, but I was never in the hot seat. You know, I never had that chance either. As, as much as as much as running around up there, it sometimes takes a while to filter through all the files. And people are now going, all right, Mr. Trivia Boy, you just lost all your credibility. Obviously, I don't know. Where, but it was hard, man. I mean, it was, but trivia was yeah. all over the place. I mean, it wasn't just obviously Walt Disney World trivia. It was, no. you know, everything Disney and, and all kinds of just general uh, trivia stuff. Knowledge, but, right. Yeah, it was, uh, it was very, very cool. And, and kids had fun. And, and I don't know why. And somewhere buried in my archives, I actually have one of the keypads, one of the ABCD keypads from the front <laughs> of the seat. I don't know what I have it for, but that's. Um, if I couldn't win the game, I, I was going to take a piece of it home with me. I guess I think I have one of like the VIP passes for it or something <laughs> like that. Somewhere hanging on a lanyard. I don't know where, but it's in one of the drawers somewhere. <laughs> yeah. And it was cool. And, and, and I miss stuff like that. Like that, you know, we talk about the studios feeling like a studio. That really helped sort of 
you know, solidify that feeling because you felt as though like you were, you know, on a TV set and there was real stuff going on. There was cameras everywhere and there was that same type of excitement. And and I kind of miss some of that a, a little bit. And I know we have it certainly to to a very different degree with the American Idol experience. Right, but it, it, you're right. It is as cameras. Are, you are on the screen. You know, it's it's it, it was in that set of you know that hot you know hot set one that we have right now that it, where everyone would go and it was a big marquee attraction uh, inside with you know all these different studios. And now it kind of feels like you're right that, that since we lost the, that kind of an event, where is that that guiding kind of force? Right, and look, you have a better chance of me actually winning the cruise in Millionaire than you do <laughs> me getting up to actually sing at the American Idol experience. So. Uh, not oh, no, can you feel the love tonight? Come on, not gonna happen in my lifetime. <laughs> Trust me, you don't want to hear that. But you know, speaking of of game shows and TV shows, uh, you know, again, this was a time that the studios was a working studio, so there was a lot of, of real tapings that were going on there. The Rosie O'Donnell show taped down there in February during Sweeps Month did incredible afternoon ratings. I think partially because of where it was. Live right. with Regis and Kelly did two shows. Um, with Regis, and including one where he sort of was at the premiere of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Play It. Live with Regis and Kelly broadcast later on to kick off the 100 Years of Magic celebration. And even Michael J. Fox hosted a 100 Years of Magic show over on ABC Radio. Yeah, it was, you know, it was one of those incredible times where everyone wanted to be there. And they, and they found ways to get people there to, so that you were – if they weren't going to have that celebrity guest there every day putting their hands in the, in the pavement, they were going to have ways for you to actually feel like it was the living, breathing studio. And I think for us as guests, that was always the unknown. That was the excitement because they used to have sort of the, the star of the day and all these kind of things going on. But you really sort of got the sense that once you walked into that gate, you know, there's a chance, like there's a real possibility that I, I might see a star walking around or they're, they're, maybe they're, they're going to be filming something other than Thunder in Paradise, you know, and, and I may actually see a celebrity walking around this quote-unquote back lot. Definitely, and you had things like Super Soap Weekend happening at that time where, you know, all the soap operas from General Hospital and All My Children, were, were, the stars were there and they were discussing the shows and their characters and things like that. There was always that chance you were going to run into someone. Right, and that really was what the identity of that park was when it first opened was, this is a real working studio, now we've got feature animation here, like, we're, we're sort of bringing this all home here and this is going to be sort of the East Coast version of the Walt Disney Studios out in California and you might see celebrities, you can you know, try your hand, pardon the pun, at drawing. You can play games. You can be part of, of the excitement and the action. And again, that sort of changed focus a little bit over the years. But 2001 was definitely a year where a lot of that was very much going on. Definitely. I mean, even down to the entertainment where they launched the Stars and Motor Cars Parade, where it was, you know, even if it was the characters and, the, you know, and celebrities who happened to be there that day, you had that going on that, that year to just to bring that sense of Hollywood full circle. Right, and I hinted to it, so let's sort of talk about it here, and we'll, we'll talk about how another attraction at the studios helped sort of kick this off as well, too. I mentioned the 100 Years of Magic celebration that started mm -hmm. that year, and that was really not about the studios. It wasn't celebrating a movie. It wasn't, you know, your 100 Years of Magic. This was about changing the focus of what the celebration was and bringing to light not just the company and its intellectual property and new offerings, but it really was about, this is 100 years of Walt Disney. 
Absolutely. You know, and in a time where kids believe Walt Disney is just a figurehead like you know Colonel Sanders or Ronald McDonald, they didn't recognize him as a real person. This was a way to, to reintroduce his history and his legacy to everyone. Uh, and it was such a great event and brought about several things that I know you and I love to this day and still are places we could spend all of our time. And I'm sure a lot of people walked in and said, oh, 100 years of magic. Wow, I can't believe Walt Disney's, you know, I can't believe Disneyland's been around for 100 right. years or the company's been around for 100 years. They didn't necessarily make that connection. And while they did integrate Walt to a certain degree into parades, you know, there was sort of the Walt on the bicycle sort of the, with the canvas at one point, this mm-hmm. really was about the, the new attraction that they opened up, which was Walt Disney One Man's Dream. A, yep. I'm sorry, it was, a, you know, this interactive multimedia gallery rare artifacts celebrating the life of Walt, right? Not about necessarily all of his accomplishments, but even going early on. And you sort of followed in his footsteps in this virtual timeline about his life and legacy. And for a lot of people, Ryan, you know, geeks like us especially, this was a real first chance for them to let us take a, a look at rare, never-before-seen props and models and sketches and like 400 artifacts and paintings and storyboards and, and models and costumes and set pieces, you know, and then obviously followed up by the uh, the 15-minute tribute film hosted by Julie Andrews. But this was kind of the first time the archives was like, okay, we're going to sort of show you our, our Raiders of the Lost Ark warehouse and bring some of these <laughs> things out that... Maybe Walt doesn't necessarily touch, you know, some things are reproduction, reproductions, mm-hmm. obviously, but this is where Walt grew up. This is the kind of the environment that he worked on. These were the models that he looked at and approved to get things built. This is the, you know, look, I, I think Granny's Cabin is the coolest thing ever, <laughs> and not because of still however many years later how intricate and detailed it is, but, you know, Walt Disney's literal handprints and fingerprints are all mm-hmm. over that because he built it himself. Yeah, and it, it, I always get it. Always disappoints me when people you know rush through that and they don't take the time to really understand what they're looking at and to really internalize it and appreciate it. But it, you know, one of my favorite pastimes to go when I'm in uh, One Man's Dream is to actually follow the different storylines because that's how they, they you know they plotted this out as you know some of the animation pieces, some of the live action pieces, some of the you know what what his futuristic visions were of things, and they plotted them all the way back to his formative years. And so you can actually go through and zigzag along one specific branch of Walt's, you know, life and career. And I would love, and I love to just follow those specific pieces at one time and then go back and start a whole nether thread and follow those through to conclusion. And you see all, you see how he worked and how he thought. And, you know, and for me, you know, things like the costumes from Zorro, I will just sit there and, you know, marvel over the incredible detail to, you know, to craftsmanship there. That, and it was on a black and white small screen, but it was so important to get it right. And it's one, too, that they have continued to update, not necessarily wholesale, ripping it all out and starting fresh. But when you come back, and again, most guests, you know, come back to Walt Disney World, maybe every three to five years or so, you never know when there might be a new vignette, something that's changed, new pieces that are put in there. Now we have, you know, the scale model for New Fantasyland in the back, which is just spectacular to see the detail that goes into it. But again, it's celebrating Look, this is a tradition that started with Walt Disney. Look at the models of Jungle Cruise and Peter Pan's Flight, how they were built so they can get a sense of what a guest would be seeing and sort of virtually walk through that. And I, 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 su- I suffer the same frustration that you do. And actually, Jim Corcus and I, uh, I'll link to it in the show notes. We did a full show all about Walt Disney One Man's Dream. We sort of did a virtual walkthrough and tour of it. 
And we commented at that point, too, how we saw so many guests either walking by it or rushing through it. It's like they're trying to, it's, you know, it's like trying to get from point A to point B like they do in the Magic Kingdom. They're trying to get mm-hmm. to Space Mountain. They're trying to get to Big Thunder without slowing down to see the detail that is there and the story that's put there before him. And, and, I, and I love One Man's Dream, right? Not just because it's air-conditioned and people say, oh, you can, you know, they have jokingly say, oh, you can take a nap in the theater. No, I, I love it because of what and who it celebrates. And, and I think for a lot of people, it is their one and possibly only introduction into who Walt Disney was. And I hope that it fosters a continuing sense of, of interest, especially in young people, to say, oh, I, I didn't know this. I didn't know Walt struggled. I didn't know this is how young he was when he passed away from cancer. I want to learn more about how he got from building stuff as a kid and drawing as a kid to running the studio. Because there are so many so many amazing resources out there now in terms of, well, online or in terms of novels and you know and biographies about Walt. Uh, there's so many great films now and documentaries that you can get to that I do. I, I'm with you. I hope it, it does create the sense of who was this person. I want to know more about these stories. I want to flesh out a full person in my mind. And, you know, and you get that when you walk through, you get pieces of it, you know, and they have, and they've kind of taken, you know, like I say, the back section with new fantasy land and turned it into the preview center, almost as it were now where we have new fantasy land. And maybe in the future, we're going to see, you know, the world of Pandora back there. And there's a showing how his legacy is continuing on. And it's, it's a great way to tie together the, his entire life and, you know, what he's left behind. Yeah. And as if we didn't want to go bad enough, seeing the model of Tokyo Disney sea mocking us from behind the glass, oh. like just beckoning us to head out there. It's uh, it's only a matter of time, my friend. I was going to say, they, they put so many things there. I'm like, yeah, one day I'm going to, you know, don't tempt me. Yeah. It also makes me real how incredibly untalented I am. And I mean, look, I can't even sculpt using Play-Doh. And they build this, you know, <laughs> incredibly detailed replica of Disney Sea and, and the Tree of Life and, and some of the other, you know, new fantasy lands. So. Right. Let me just put it in words. You know what? Let me write the description of what you're making. Like, that's what I got. I got that. I'll, I'll handle that. So with the with the growth and the expansion and the addition of One Man's Dream, you know, things are, are changing also there at the studios too. I was so sad, and I kid you not, I was sad and I lamented the loss of another great man at Disney's Hollywood Studios. Because when Playhouse Disney live on stage, we lost Bear in the Big Blue House live on stage. And I will tell you, as a father, don't laugh at me, as a father who spent many a day and many a night watching and singing along with Bear and Luna and the Moon. You know, I, I missed that show going. Of course, we can go back and talk about you know the Soundstage Restaurant and the Catwalk Bar. But yeah, Bear in the Big Blue House ran from June '99 until August 2001, when the first incarnation of Playhouse Disney Live on stage, which continues to be popular. And if you look, if you are obviously you know a 42 year old single guy, maybe you're not digging that as much as somebody that is going there with his family and has young kids and they're getting up and they're dancing and it's very interactive and it's fun. Um, you know, I like the show. My kids are sort of outgrown it to a certain degree. They almost, you know, go just to, to watch as opposed to anything else. But uh, I liked that being so family friendly, so toddler and, and, and young guest specific. You know, even if your kids, you know, don't don't weren't old enough to, to speak and understand the visuals and the, the bubbles and the music and the lights like that's something that's just built just for them. And I was gonna say, you know, and I wasn't laughing actually because of, because of what you're saying. I was laughing because you know I'm that guy. I don't have kids yet, but 
I was I've been in preschool for you know my entire adult life. I'm working <laughs> as a teacher, as a teacher, not as a teacher. Although, well, they teach me some things, um, but I, but I have and I would I would go and I would watch just to because that is the environment that you know I I surround myself with daily that I wanted to go see it and I would go experience it. And, and it, you're right, you know, it's so toddler centric and it's one of those few pieces that is built to their level and is for them and it's all the things that you know hold their attention and you know people they recognize characters they recognize and i and i miss i miss bear but i would be that guy in the back of the room you know mid 20s to early 30s and why why is that guy standing there <laughs> um but it was but it was fun to go watch and experience it and then take some pictures and take them back to my kids and be like look who you know look who i got to hit spend some time with so and you know what, i'll correct myself and correct you to a certain degree too because you know what while that attraction was built for kids it was built for the parents because if you don't have kids of your own yet, or maybe never will, or, or whatever, even if you go with, with friends' kids or, or you know, nephews or nieces, your Walt Disney World and Disney Park experiences changes radically mm-hmm. when you bring children. Because that attraction, like parades and some of the shows, is not necessarily for you to watch that show and be entertained because you're watching your kids. You're watching your kids get up and dance. And look, I am not going to lie. I, I, you know, I, I'm very transparent. I put myself out there. I cried more in Bear in the Big Blue House and Playhouse Disney Live on stage than I probably did at anything else other than my 800th time of watching Rudy because I watch <laughs> my kids and I watch the expression on their face and they're smiling and they're dancing and they're, and they're looking back at you, you know, for, for affirmation like, oh, my, you know, look at how much fun I'm having. Can you... And you just, you melt, you know, and I still go sometimes with friends or whatever, and I watch them and I watch their kids and I'm like, that's it. That's what it, that's what it's all about right there. That's what Walt wanted to see. He wanted to see not just parents and kids having fun together, but watching that reaction on parents' faces as they watch their children. You're right. The, the excitement and the enthusiasm that that you see with the, with the young children—it's just infectious. I mean, you just—you can't help but but get wrapped up in it, and that is what it's there for. That, and I think a lot of us—you know—we spend our adult years trying to find our way back to that, and it's so simple for them, and it's just—it's just finding that infectious nature of it and just letting go and going with it. And they see these characters coming to life in front of them off TV, and then they go outside and get to to meet them and hug some of them in the courtyard. I mean, it's just like. That's what they want, you know. That that's yep. uh, that's the experience for them. So let me step off my very sentimental soapbox and uh, and move along before I embarrass myself any further. Let's move over to the Magic Kingdom, right? Let's move because right. as long as we're talking, all right, I'm going to get back on my sentimental soapbox because as long as we're talking about growth and expansion, the Magic Kingdom Main Street grew grew in size and it grew in story as well, but we lost things. Along the way, and if you've listened to any of my, you know, audio guides to Walt Disney World and the Main Street, I explain how as you walk down Main Street, you are moving forward in time and moving forward in story. And as business prospered and the town grew out from that town square, out towards uh, the, the the plaza and the castle, uh, the shops grew as well too, right? And Osh Popham's Emporium begins to grow. He needs to expand farther down the street as well. But the Emporium, the real shop, needed to expand as well. They needed to annex more space on the west side of the street. So in 2001, after a very lengthy refurbishment, West Center Street, which is sort of that that left side of the street across from the alleyway on the right-hand side, was removed as part of that growth of the town. 
And along with it went a few of those original shops. Like the original Harmony Barbershop was there when it used to sell shaving items and mustache cups. The facades for the Champion Cyclery, the Chinese Hand Laundry, and the Livery, livery Stable were gone. Uh, the Greenhouse was gone, even while well, it eventually became the, the, the flower shop and the clock shop and all that. And the one cool thing that I loved, and, and this, Ryan, when I thought of 2001, this was the thing that I thought of first. And I don't know why, because I remembered seeing it, you know, because I, I, I didn't obviously live in Florida. I visited once every year or so. And seeing that that change and that little alleyway, that very sort of quaint little alleyway gone, I remember mm-hmm. the sign that said, as it, as it was closed, it had the big green wall and said, it's something to the effect of, uh, a bigger and better emporium is coming for a new century. And I love the sort of double meaning there, because that new century was not just the real 2001, but in terms of story, it was 1899, moving on to 1900 and 1901, which is when Main Street USA's story takes place. Right. You, you, they, that you know, wave of the future, no matter what, which century you're turning at that point, is coming through with there, and you know it. It is one of those things. You know, whatever we lost, we lose the side streets. You you do lose a little bit of that community. Like, oh yeah, right. I could go down this street and make another left, and I could have a house right down here. Or you know, those those kind of thought patterns um, when they have to expand the emporium, and and it did need to be to grow. But at the same time, you're right. We, we you know we lose those little these little corners, and you start wondering. Hmm, you know where where are these little shops, and it's becoming one big shop. And luckily, you get Harmony Barbershop moving up to a new home. Um, but it, it's one of those great turns of the of the phrase. And it, it's a silly, obscure ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the guests don't ever see it. But again, as you move story wise down Main Street USA, mm-hmm. there are some of the facades that actually have representations of what year they were supposed to be established. And if you look at the old, quote-unquote, section of the Emporium, the red awning, it says, like, established, I think it's 1897. Mm-hmm. But this new section has a very small, bluish, turquoise plaque that says that it it was established in 1901. Again, coincidentally, the year Walt Disney was born, that's that little, subtle nod specifically to Walt. Yeah, and, and a year really celebrating Walt and his legacy. You know, it's nice to see the the little pieces, and you know, the, you know, with Main Street being based off of Marceline and his hometown, and that he grew up in. It's nice to see you know the, tying those threads together. Yeah. So, moving through Magic Kingdom a little bit, the the only sort of other really kind of big addition was the Magic Carpets of Aladdin. It opened in what was originally that open-air plaza of Adventureland, and I must say again, nostalgic that I am, I miss those old lava rock benches there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it this was sort of the Adventureland version of Dumbo. There is a, a whole story, again, attached to this about how this genie, you know, they were digging there, and that's why the, there's jewels everywhere, and the genie pops out, and this whole sort of backstory that's alongside of it. But what I think it did add... Uh, was, again, not just another great experience for younger guests, but it did introduce a very new sort of kinetic element to the land, which didn't really have very much of it. As you sort of walked through Adventureland, previously, it was very static. Now you've got color, you've got motion, you've got a little bit of life in there, uh, which is one of the things that was was noticeably absent, I think. 
you have spitting camels now. Um, you have, but this was that area to me that you know, looking back at 2001 and realizing this is when that happened. You know, I'm I was the citrus swirl king as a kid. You know, everyone <laughs> loved their Dole whips, but I loved my citrus swirls and the the tiki room. And this was this was my corner of Adventureland. And when that came in, the, the, you know, as much as I loved Aladdin, there was this, this certain part of me that was just like, why? Why did you take away my view? Why did you take away my my lava benches? Um, and then I was like. Right. Okay. Floating benches. That's what I have now. I have floating benches. Um, but it did. It added. It added a little bit of of that kinetic energy, like you were saying, to the park. It did add. You know, also because it's a very, very unshaded area. You have the spinning camels, so you're getting a little bit of that cool mist from the camels if you want to go stand in front of them. And the other thing too. Look, you know, Dumbo was so incredible and mm-hmm. continues to be so. Inc- look, so much so that they built the second one. So incredibly popular that they needed that. Right. You needed. Some more of these younger, guest-friendly type attractions, right? Not every little kid may dig the Tiki Room or, you know, Pirates might have been scary. They needed something that was a ride for them. Look, that that hub-and-spoke attraction was so popular that Animal Kingdom got one too, right? Chester and Hester's right. Dinorama opens. They get Primeval Whirl and Triceratops Spin in again sort of a, a, a very different venture, not just for, you know, the parks, but for Animal Kingdom, this midway-themed area, right? It, in the spirit of these roadside carnivals, this allowed Animal Kingdom to, again, look, you've got to remember who your demographic, who are the guests that right. are coming there. You have to appeal to some of these younger visitors who are looking for more rides and games while still sort of building on, look, there's a, still a lot of momentum going on from that park's opening just three years earlier. So, while it seems like it's a very simple roadside midway, uh, and then again, I'll, I'll try and link to this in the show notes. We did a full show years yeah. ago about Dinorama, which people, when they first saw it, laughed. They said, how can you talk about Dinorama for an hour or so? There's a very in-depth storyline here that was crafted by the Imagineers. Absolutely. It's really, how can you not talk about it for at least an hour? <laughs> um, and of course, that's coming from us. So, you know, that's right. take, take that with the greatest salt. <laughs> Um, but you have you, you do you have all these experiences in Animal Kingdom where you're going to have to take time. You're going to be walking. And yes, do kids want to see animals? Absolutely, because those that's what they're going to take away in the end. But they're going to need those interludes. They're going to need those times where they can shut their brains down. They can shut their feet down and just ride or just sit and play and not think about it. And so that's what that's what Dynorama gives you is these games that they can play. And you know wh- whether or not they win the giant stuffed dinosaur or not, they have something that that, that they can uh, experience. And then you have, and you give them the controls with with you know Triceratops spin, and you have you have an hour that they'll burn real quickly, and give you that them that time to reboot and you that time to reboot. Yeah, and and look when this opened, there was you know there was certainly a, a lot of online criticism because I don't think people got it. They're like you know what is Disney doing? They're just literally throwing up these junky looking you know off the shelf type of rides of attractions you know but why why are they not spending the time and what they're not getting was it was very tongue-in-cheek it was very deliberate to make it look that way to make it look kitschy like that to come up with this entire backstory of who chester and hester were and who these characters were and why it looked like that it wasn't cheaply done it wasn't quickly done it was done very purposely because it's what was wanted by guests. You know, kids like that hub and spoke attractions. Kid parents want to be able to take their kids and let them play games like that and do that. So they create this very uh, elaborate backstory that ties into that land. I think very well. So I think you have to sort of get it 
air quotes, in terms of mm-hmm. what Disney was trying to do. Definitely. You ha- you know, this is the same year that they changed Countdown to Extinction to Dinosaur. And, you, you know, kids want to see dinosaurs. Kids want to experience dinosaurs. They love dinosaurs. They may not love the dinosaurs that's going to eat their car. <laughs> so let's find the dinosaurs that they can deal with. Let's find the dinosaurs that they can play with. And, and it's, you're right. It's not cheaply done. You look at that, even just looking down at your feet, at that, you know, pavement, that, that Florida kind of sediment pavement where it's been cracked and aged, that's not easy. That wasn't like it was just sitting there for them. They had to create that. It was, and so they did. They took a lot of time to make this, to make it look cheap, to make it look as if it was a roadside attraction. But the, but the depth and level of detail there is, is astounding. Yeah, you know, look, you need to bring a, a sense of whimsy into the parks a little bit. And, and the, you know, the message of Disney's Animal Kingdom was important and it was serious and it was, and it was one that was more about, I don't want to say educating first, but it was. It was about awareness, right? So for little kids, they're like, hey, man, I don't, you know, my four-year-old didn't want to be aware of conservation. They wanted to go ride rides. And so that's why I understand the, the gap that that was trying to fill in while still sort of carrying that message forward. And look, they, they took, again, this sort of, this momentum of Disney's Animal Kingdom outside the parks, right? They wanted to bring mm-hmm. that experience and the views and, some awesome food from inside Disney's Animal Kingdom out to guests at the resorts. So that same month that Chester and Hester's open, Disney's Animal Kingdom Lodge opens, right? And this is all about, again, it's about environment, right? You've got these views of the savannas. You could watch the animals roaming freely right outside your balconies, which was so very different, you know, and and opened up a whole new world of possibilities for guests uh, than any of the other resorts. Yeah, I mean, just from everything from, from the roof on down, at Animal Kingdom Lodge, it's just ex- extraordinary. I mean, you know, we could spend a whole episode just talking about the food of this resort. They they went out so clearly to de- to define the menus and to define you know uh, you know these these cultural icons in terms of food. The rooms are the same way. You know, they didn't build this as a giant high rise. They built it very very consciously, low to the ground, so you'd have those views, you'd have those natural experiences. And yeah, you know, if you're on the outside of those horseshoes, are you gonna have to walk a little bit to your room? Yes, but the views that you're gonna get along the way and once you get there are just are bar none some of the best on property absolutely and again and and look animal kingdom lodge like all the resorts deserve their own uh and we'll give them we'll give it its Mm -hmm. own segment to talk more uh, about that but let's sort of continue as long as we're talking about resorts let's talk about a change over another one of my favorite resorts on the moderate side because uh this same year disney's port orleans and dixie landings resorts and I'm using air quotes as if you could see me again, they merged <laughs> to become a single sort of property as Port Orleans. It's Port Orleans Resort Riverside and Port Orleans French Quarter. And look, beignets and Yeehaw Bob, it does not get any better than that. No, no, it doesn't get any better. Actually, my dad was just out at Riverside last week and was sending me pictures and you know, because he wanted me to hate him apparently. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they, they, they merged into one entity. You know, you lose, you, you know, uh, French Quarter loses its bike rentals, its Surrey rentals, its its uh, sit down restaurant, but because it becomes one entity, you get, you're just a stroll down the Sasagula from Yihabab, from Boat Rights, um, and it, it really does extend that theme of this you know low country kind of feel, whether it's the plantations, the city district of of uh, rivers or of uh, French Quarter, to, to to straight into the bayou with the, with the alligator bayou section. Yeah, and, and again, we've talked uh, in the past, uh, I'll try and remember to link to it in the show notes, we did a very detailed look at the the backstory of Port Orleans mm-hmm. and the changes over the years. 
But I love, I, lo- I look, Riverside to me is a hidden gem. Even if you're not staying there, you go spend, uh, you know, go there at dusk. You do a Surrey bike. You take the mm-hmm. boat. You, I think Boat Rights is an overlooked, um, awesome restaurant. Oh, absolutely. Jambalaya. Um, mm-hmm. You roll or stroll, whatever it may be, into Yeehaw Bob. There's also great food at the River Roost Lounge. Bob yeah. is one of the best shows you will find on property. That guy kills it every mm-hmm. night. He's like 113 years old and gives like, it's like his first time ever doing it. He will remember your name 10 years from now, I promise you. And it's fun for the whole family. It's free. And it's one of those things that, that I think for me makes uh, Riverside and all of Port Orleans so very attractive. Absolutely. You know, and I'm a huge fan of the Alligator Bayou. It's like the whole resort, but Alligator Bayou is where I find myself drawn to. And I don't know if it's, you know, to me, on that Fort Wilderness kid. So, like, that's kind of like the moderate level of like Fort Wilderness experience um, or what it is. But that, but the whole place, I just love it wandering through it and listening to the nature that's around you and seeing all the, the little details that, that distinguish each of the buildings. And yeah, it's, it's, the whole area is just incredible. And I could spend, you know, hours on end talking about it too. Yeah. And, you know, and look, as as we're talking about these things that are coming, or, or came to the res, to Walt Disney World Resort in two thousand one, they weren't just big in terms of lands or resorts or attractions. You know, there were look every every single park either got a new or updated parade. Right? Mm-hmm. We mentioned it before, Magic Kingdom got share a dream come true over at Epcot. Tapestry of Nations evolves a little bit to become Tapestry of Dreams, which mm-hmm. I love that parade and the music. <laughs> My God, I wish they would bring that back. Over at the studios, you mentioned stars and their cars come out in the Stars and Motor Cars Parade, and Animal Kingdom gets the j- the Jam and Jungle Parade. And on top of all that, you know that year also saw the Main Street Electrical Parade leaving again, and Spectrum Magic coming back for its second run. And you could either, some people either like that or don't right. like that. <laughs> I, left, I left the U.S. for a reason. Right. I, I'm, you know, no, I'm not going to editorialize. You either like the fact that Spectro came and went or, or whatever it may be. But again, almost, you know, the, the, there's that kinetic energy. There's that, there's that element coming on. There's something to sort of celebrate all the time. Look, there's new events or expanding of events. Flower and Garden looking once again to, Making it more about the families and kids. There's a lot of garden activities for kids, live music, celebrity chefs, culinary demonstrations. We talked about one of our favorite uh, Star Wars weekends, right? There's four Star Wars weekends. Carrie Fisher is there. Like Princess Leia comes to Star Wars weekends. Of course, now this year we get Mark Hamill, which is pretty awesome. But, you know, Kenny Baker was there. Peter Mayhew was there. Warwick Davis was there. Look, they liked Star Wars so much, they would go out and buy the company about 12 years later. (laughs) Who doesn't love Star Wars that much that they wouldn't go buy the company if they had the chance? Uh, Super Soap Weekends was there. That only lasted about seven more years. That sort of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I don't know if it ran out of steam or, or ran out of interest, whatever it was. But they also were expanding some of the seasonal events, right? The holidays yeah. got bigger and better. Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party at the time was a record 11 nights. I think now in it's 2014, I think Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party runs for 76 nights or something like that. Right. Um, <laughs> we start in July. Right. It's, it's Easter time, so they're starting to put up the Halloween decorations. Uh, there's 45 days of the Osborne fe- family spectacle of lights at the studios and 31 days of holidays around the world at Epcot. So... The holiday time, there's more going on. It's all included with admission. There's a lot more to sort of draw you down there. And maybe all of a sudden families start to say, hey, you know what? 
maybe we should go to Disney World for the holiday. Maybe we should spend Christmas or Hanukkah or, or New Year's or whatever it is down in Walt Disney World. Yeah, you have you have all these reasons now to do that. They're you know they're supersizing effectively your experience. Yeah, you're going to pay a little bit more for your room. Your ticket's going to cost you the same price, and there are so many more events to see with with the holidays, with how, you know all the great entertainment that's only available for you know at that point about a month that year. Uh, it, it just it it left you know everyone questioning. Well, we, we used to go in the summer. Maybe we should go in the winter. Yeah, there, there's a you know you're getting more bang for your dollar. You're getting more value for your dollar because of how much more is added on to your experience. And actually, speaking of the holidays, we were talking before about broadcast. Uh, Dick Clark's New Year's Rockin' Eve actually broadcast a little bit from Walt right. Disney World, and that was actually the highest ratings that show ever had in history. So there's the, uh, Disney, keep doing it. Obviously, we want right. to see more from Walt, uh, from Walt Disney World, especially during, you know, other than just the, uh, the, the Christmas Day parade. Right. Um, I think we, we, it's important that we have to note something that um, is was not a, a bright spot in 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 history, but from a Walt Disney World perspective, the way it was handled, you know, the, the resort closed for only the second time in history as a result of what happened on September 11th. And while they opened the next day, according to regular operating hours, I wasn't there, um, but we need to sort of mention how many people commended Disney for just how well it handled an incredibly delicate situation for its guests to not mm-hmm. have them panic, to accommodate them, to bring entertainment to the resorts, to answer mm-hmm. their questions, to keep things safe. Look, security instantly became an issue. And how do you have right. 50,000 people, whatever it is in the Magic Kingdom, you know, and, and try and sort of get them out in an orderly fashion without making them be panicked when potentially, you know, obviously they had to think, hey, are we, are we maybe a target? Are we maybe a target here? And I've heard nothing you know, for the most part, um, other than great responses from people mm-hmm. who were there, who did go through it, whether it was cast members or guests or executives or whatever it may be, the way that that resort was prepared and handled that so as not to, um, you know, frighten guests or to, to, to upset them and to accommodate them however they needed to during and after the incident as well. Definitely. I mean, you know, every big organization has their emergency preparedness plan, but you never know how it's going to go until you actually have to implement. And they did. They, you know, they got they were able to get everyone out very calmly. They did not close the resort. You know, they said, "No, you're still welcome at you know at your resorts. Please come back. You know, we're going to take care of you." Um, and they made you know, in, in what was a very tense situation, what could have been very very traumatic for a lot of people, you know, it was handled with incredible care, with incredible dedication. And the, I'm like you. I've never, I've not yet heard one thing to criticize how they handled that day. Yeah. So, and again, without going, you know, too much into it, um, I think it really speaks volumes about mm-hmm. not just the company, um, but the cast members. You know, and the cast members and the sensitivity and and the training that they uh, that they underwent before that. So, but look, 2001 was really about. I think it was about one thing we mentioned before. It was about Walt Disney. Right, mm-hmm. it, the the one man stream attraction at the studios was the tip of the celebratory iceberg. It was the biggest party that Disney had thrown, I think, yet as part of that hundred years of magic property wide commemoration and celebration. That really sort of they wanted to make people realize for the first time about not just the life and legacy, but also the you know the different look. Walt did not have an easy. You know, this did not come easy to Walt. These things did not get made by magic. You know, he had a lot of trials and tribulations and and went bankrupt and fought with people and, you Mm -hmm. know, and it was hard. So 
it, it was it it was about Walt, but but in terms of Walt Disney World, I think it very much was a year of growth. Um, obviously, a, some sobering moments um, and, and celebrations. And I think again of, of all the things that that they did, of all the expansion, all the changes, um, you know, it, it was about that. And I think, and what I think I hoped then and now was that that celebration, that attraction, that hundred years of magic, those little details that they put in there would inspire others by his optimism. Maybe make, if look, if they make one kid or one adult take a, a risk the way he did or find their own creative inspiration in his story, then, then that's really what it was about. You know, not to sort of overly wax poetic, but but I think that's what it was. It was meant to sort of not just educate people, but hopefully inspire them as well. I think you're absolutely right. And, I, and you know, I know we both have lessons that we've taken from Walt into our own lives. And, you know, we found it on our own. But with these hundred years of magic, you know, how many more doors and with one man's dream over the years, how many other children have seen that, have, have felt, you know, I, I came from that same kind of, you know, downtrodden background. I can really succeed if I really put my mind to it, if I really drive myself. You know, how many people have taken away that message of hope of I can become whatever I put my mind to? Listen, there is something very, you know, there's, there's something very real about hearing him say, I came to California with $40 in my pocket. Mm-hmm. Okay, $40 back in at that time is probably $100 now, but still, he did it. It's not like he right. came here with a silver spoon in his mouth. He, you know, he worked really hard right with a cardboard suitcase and you know just you know and a pencil and some paper he yeah he chose he chose his destiny in that in that regard absolutely so uh listen it was always fun it's always fun to to sort of take a a look back into the pages of the timeline of walt disney world and think back to how different it is now you know how similar is it how different is it from the way it was 15 years ago um some of the things that we got some of the things that we lost a few of the things that we miss once again i go back to the tapestry of nations parade but um you know that is uh walt said many times that that walt disney world and disneyland were never meant to be museums and that's why it's continuing to grow and develop and thankfully so so we always have something different to talk about and that's why i want to have you come back again we'll get aboard the Wayback machine we'll explore some of these other fun things i know we've been tossing around a few of the obscure things that maybe not ever Everybody got to see along the way uh, that uh, that we sort of laugh sentimentally about. Uh, as always, Ryan P. Wilson, you are just knocking it out of the park day after day over at MainStreetGazette.com. It's MainStGazette.com. And I think on the Twitter, you are also at MainStGazette. That's me, Instagram, Twitter, all those good places. You're all over the place. Walt would be would be proud at uh, at your just your, your meet the media empire you have built over at the, <laughs> at the Main Street Gazette. Uh, you know, from the early days at the Holly Vermont Realty, look where you've come now. Exactly. I just want to show. I'm gonna, I'm going to teach him how to tweet. Um, <laughs> one of these things, we'll get. We'll, you know, Walt will be fine with it. We'll be good. You know what? There's an interesting thing to think about. If Walt Disney had Twitter. What, what would, would he say? What would Walt's first tweet be? You know, I went back and looked at my first tweet this week, and it, it, <laughs> wasn't, it wasn't as groundbreaking as I had thought no. it was. I don't think anybody's tweet was that first epic, oh, look back and look at how, you know, deeply philosophical I was on my first tweet. It was, <laughs> oh, look, my I'm in the bathroom. You know, it's something, <laughs> something not that that's what my first tweet was. I have Twitter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thanks. Remember when I used to have free time that I actually did things with instead of looking at Twitter? So, yeah, I wonder, what would Walt Disney's first tweet be? That would be an interesting uh, experiment. So, 
Ryan, Excuse my friend, uh, thank you always as, as much. Uh, you know, I, I appreciate you coming back. I enjoy it every single time. All right, buddy. Time for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week. I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World history or see how well you pay attention to the details of what you see and like this week and what you hear. You can then enter for a chance to win a Disney prize package. Before we get to this week's question, let's go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So last week I said that one of my favorite attractions is still Walt Disney's Carousel of Progress, and I love so many of the interesting, funny, and sometimes a little bit more obscure references in the attraction. And one of them was the subject of last week's question, because I asked you to fill in the blanks for this line from Walt Disney's Carousel of Progress. Ah, uh, don't worry, Rover. She didn't mean real dogs. Besides, it's not going to rain today. My blank isn't acting up. Once again, congratulations to the hundreds of you that entered and answered this one correctly because you filled in the blank with the word lumbago. So his lower back wasn't bothering him. That means there's no rain coming. Again, I took all the correct entries, randomly selected one, and last week's winner of all six of my virtual audio tours of the Magic Kingdom and a copy of my Doom book, 102 Ways to Save Money for and at Walt Disney World, is Jim Codis. So, Jim, congratulations. I sent you an email with a link to download all the guides and the book. If you played last week and didn't win, thanks for entering. But don't worry, because here's your next opportunity to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So on the show this week, we talked about who wants to be a millionaire, play it over at Disney's MGM Studios and how close it was to the original, very popular TV version. If you ever watched the show, you remember that there were three lifelines that you could use on the TV show. 50-50, Ask the Audience, and Phone a Friend. Well, the Disney MGM Studios version had 50-50 and Ask the Audience, but instead of Phone a Friend, what option did the studio's game show version offer? You have until Sunday, March 30th at 11.59 p.m. to email your answer to contest at wdwradio.com. Again, you're playing for all six of my virtual audio walking tours of the Magic Kingdom and a copy of my new book, 102 Ways to Save Money for and at Walt Disney World. So good luck and have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks so much for taking the time and tuning in this and every week. In addition to the podcast, which you can subscribe to over in iTunes, please come by and visit the all-new, completely updated WDWRadio.com. There you'll find new videos, daily blog posts, contests, our discussion forums, the free email newsletter and WDW Radio app for your mobile device, and lots more. Also, our events page, full of events, including upcoming Meets of the Month in Walt Disney World and other events, on the road, I'll have information posted about our next meet of the month in Walt Disney World for April. We spend an evening with Yeehaw Bob over at Disney's Port Orleans Resort. Also visit my website over at lumangelo.com for other meetups, not Disney related, but some other on the road events while I'm speaking at conferences and schools around the country. Also, if you like the show, please be sure and tune in every Wednesday night for WDW Radio Live. I do a live video broadcast and interactive chat where we discuss this week's Walt Disney World news. You guys can comment and ask questions in the chat room, and then we stay on for a few hours 
longer to talk about just about anything at all. Again, that's Wednesday night, 7.30 p.m. Eastern over at WDWRadioLive.com. Thanks, as always, to my partners and sponsors, including MouseFanTravel.com. It's who I recommend because it's who I use, whether you're going to Disney World, Land, Cruise Line, Adventures by Disney, Aulani, or anywhere that you feel like traveling. Becky and her agents give you the best possible prices, all available discounts. Most importantly, they give you an incredible level of personal service at no cost to you. Again, visit them over at MouseFanTravel.com. If you want to get some Disney magic delivered right to your door, visit CelebrationsPress.com. Find out how you can subscribe and order back issues of Celebrations Magazine. And as always, my friends, and you are my friends, whether we have met yet or not, all I ask is that if you like the show, please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Tweet out that you're listening. Share links and come by and comment over on Facebook. Please rate and review the show and the apps over on iTunes. Also, if you want to connect with me, I'm at Lou Mangiello on Twitter, facebook.com slash Lou Mangiello. You can follow my personal profile there or visit facebook.com slash WDW Radio to like the WDW Radio page. You can also find out about the running team, some of the other things we have going on as well. I'm also on Pinterest and Instagram at Lou Mangiello. And if you have a question, maybe you want answered on the show, you can email me, Lou at WDWRadio.com or call the voicemail. I'll be heard on the air, 407-900-9391. Also, I'm purging a lot of my Disney and Star Wars and other geeky collectibles up on eBay. I have 10 new auctions every week that start and end on Sunday nights. To see and bid on this week's items, visit wdwradio.com slash eBay, where my eBay seller name is Second Star Media. And finally, and most importantly, I want to say a sincere thank you to all of you for taking the time to tune in every week and to send me emails and to come to the meets of the month. And, for most, and really just allowing me to do what I do and share my passion for Disney with you through the show and the site and so many other ways. I lead an incredibly blessed life because of you, and, and I really do appreciate your friendship and support. And I want you to feel the same way I do every morning. So you're excited for what the day has to bring. So sometimes you can't always wait for the perfect time to start doing what you love. Sometimes you have to make a, a dare to jump and have faith and always keep moving forward. So I hope you guys have a great week this week. Until next time, see ya. Hi, Lou. This is Anna from Kansas City, Missouri. I just got back from Disneyland, and I just listened to your podcast about Space Mountain. And uh, my whole family was amazed at how much better the Disneyland version was than Disney World. Uh, we loved it to pieces and wrote it many, many times. And I would be really interested if you did a show comparing the two parks. Um, Pirates of the Caribbean I felt was better in Disneyland and some other things. So I hope, I look forward to you doing that show in Disneyland. Thanks. Bye. You've got a friend in me. Yeah.